hear me now? Isn't <laughs> that what they say? Guys, let's uh, might just change posture, stand, and just we're going to just begin by on this Pentecost Sunday by inviting our friend the Holy Spirit to increase his presence among us. We're so thankful that he came. And we're so thankful that Jesus just didn't go back to the Father and say he was going to come back some other time again. But he gave us a friend and a comforter, and one who speaks to us and engages with us day in, day out. And this is just a day just to highlight again, just to stop and pause and to remember that we have a Holy Spirit who is with us. So I'm just going to join with the church throughout the world today, some in houses, some in homes, some in large buildings, some in cathedrals, and some in schools just to invite the Holy Spirit to increase his presence among us. So if you're comfortable, why don't you just put your hands out, if that's okay. It's just a posture thing. It's not a vineyard thing. It's not charismatic. It's totally scriptural. Whatever way you're comfortable. Yeah, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you came. We thank you that you are here and that you're our best friend. We thank you that you speak to us, you guide us, you give us wisdom. We thank you for your power that we encounter for us and for others, God. And I pray just today that we would be reminded of our friendship with you. That we would wake daily and invite you into our day, into our world, into whatever activities we're engaging with. Would you come in your presence? Would you come in your power? Would you come in your loveliness? Would you come in your peace? Would you come in your wildness? Would you come, Holy Spirit? We join with the church through the ages, through thousands of years, and say, Come, Holy Spirit come. We welcome you. You're so kind. It's not really a prayer you can say, close your two. We just continue in his presence. So you may be seated. I, uh, I just want to try and give some shape to what we did yesterday and to encourage us to continue to, to do that, not lift 10 tons of clay every day. But if you want to do that, please feel free. But just to encourage you in your everyday ordinary and to make sense of why we do that as a church. Yes, we do it because Jesus loves people. Yes, we do it because we, we know Jesus would be among people. But there's actually a bigger picture. Actually, there's an overarching theme in all that we do called the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And so in Jeremiah 29, 1 to 14 is our text this morning. If you have a Bible, if you, have, if you haven't, we have some here. We'd love to gift you with one if you need one. Does anybody need a Bible? Anybody want one? Take it home with you, read it. You can use it. I'm looking around. No, and then open up your phone. Maybe you have it on your phone, a tablet, whatever. But we encourage you to read the ancient scriptures. Jeremiah, if you're unfamiliar where that is in the book, I encourage you. There's a table of contents in every Bible the library, by the way. Just go to the front. It'll tell you where you can find the name. Give you the page number, and you can go straight there. So I'm going to give you a second to get to Jeremiah 29, verses 1 to 14. This is our primary text this morning. When one of you is there, shout. Anybody there? All of you there? Still looking? I'll jump in. Okay, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is after King Jehoiachin and the Queen Muller, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the craftsmen had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisha, 
uh, Shaphan and Jeremiah, uh, or sorry, Jemariah, son of Hilkiah and Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, this is the letter, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners, the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declared the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed by for Babylon, sorry, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me. And come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found, declares the Lord. I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We've talked a lot about this text over the years in Vineyard Church on Gannon, but I just want to sort of recap today. And so this gives us three things, really, that every follower of Jesus Christ, everyone who follows Jesus of Nazareth, should engage with. The things that we are to do and engage with, and this is why some of the reason, and part of the huge reason, actually, not some of it, but a big portion of the reason why we engage with things called give it aid to Dungannon. Three things you'll pick up from this passage. Live and settle there. Don't recluse. Don't retreat. Don't live in isolation. Don't refute the culture even. Live, engage, sell. Number two, respectfully resist the values. Respectfully resist the values of the culture of Babylon. Now here's a, here's a gig, okay? These guys have been disobedient. They've, they've walked away from God. So s- social forces has brought this about that they're gathered and they're caught up, and they're gathered by the forces of Nebuchadnezzar, and they're bring, brought into this place of exile. It's interesting that the people at the gathered, I don't know if you picked up it or not, but I just, I picked up on it last night when I was rereading it, and I picked up it again in this morning. These guys picked the people to, so that their culture, their place would be a flourishing place. Do you notice the people that they picked? They picked all the people that were influential in society among Israel. Priests, prophets, Craftsmen, apprentices, skilled people, creatives, artisans, they had the whole package. And so what they were hoping and what they were doing is that they would gather these people into their culture, into their city, and then they would use them that they would somehow in some way devalue their own values or leave their own values behind, assist those, engage with this new culture, and, and make things happen. It was a big plan. There's a halfway house there. So this... The scripture tells us, the letter tells us, respectively resist the culture, the values of the culture, that is. And then number three, sacrificially love there. You can't get away from that. Sacrificially love there. So you put those things together, 
And you see how God wants any follower of Jesus Christ to live in any town, in any culture, in any society at any given time. So the reason that we're living here today, probably some of us chose it, but God's going to use it. And the reason wherever you are, wherever you are, in your town, in your community, in your village, this is what the Father God says to you. It's a community of people, those who have said yes to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. God appoints a church not to build cathedrals or, or stained glass windows. That's not the primary purpose of the church. The church is not just to bury the dead and do weddings. The church is caused, has a cause and a purpose to cause all places to flourish and be fruitful. Do you believe that? That's the primary purpose. One of the primary purpose of us being here. We're to make all things new. We're to cause people and places to flourish. And so while you're here, while you're in a town, while you're in a space, while you're in a village, while you're in a city, maybe you're visiting with us today. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, God calls you to live in your town, in your society, and to settle there, not to withdraw, to respectively resist the values and sacrificially love there. Have I just gone off? Or have you just got tired listening to me? No, I'm still here. Okay. So if we frame the text this morning, it would be that God's people are called to sacrificially love the people where they're called to and the place where they're called to. I know you'd love something deeper than that. I would love something deeper than that. Would you not? Would you not love it if, if the Scripture said, you know, what I want you to do is pray and fast and read the ancient Scriptures day out. I mean, that's a lot more fun than moving 10 ton of soil, isn't it? Huh? Or as Ali says, I want you to do a bit of weeding down at the junction. Does Ali have a clue what a bit of weeding looks like? Like they were this size and there were thistles that were just like, I don't know, 20 foot high and 5 foot wide. My wee legs last night, I took a bath last night for the first time in a long time. And I kid you not, like as a man of the cloth. And a very nice cloth it is too. My legs were stinging. And I just for one moment thought, Jesus, wouldn't it be much easier if we didn't have to do all this loving people and loving places stuff? <laughs> just for a moment. Just for a moment. Verse 5 and verse 6. You having fun? Always. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. So what is the key to this? The key is that this, this, is, this, is, this is something that I've learned a long time ago and, and it's so, so important and it's so simple, but yet it's so, so powerful. That make your place, your town, your village, your street, your home. That's it. So often, sadly, I grew up in a culture of church where we were living as tourists. God has not called you to live as tourists. To be a tourist is to be a consumer. You go on holidays, you're a tourist, right? You don't engage with the culture. Well, you think you do. Truth is, let me, let me let you into a secret. All the tourists are five street backseat and better food, cheaper prices. You're sitting up the front paying an absolute fortune and maybe with a till that says, non-local, double the price. <laughs> And you call that engaging culture. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. But we can't, we don't, we're not called to live as, as tourists. We're, we're to make where you are, your home, the place where you live, a place of engagement. And this is the entire passage, this is what, what Nehemiah has given us. This entire passage is, is that we're to consider where we live and engage with it. And every fabric... Society. I don't think it's any mistake that they brought the priests and the prophets and the, 
and the stonemakers and the builders and the creatives and the artisans all in one place. And God did not say to them, you know what, do nothing for these people. He didn't say, hold back your skill, your gifting that God gives them. The prophetic voice that God gives and Holy Spirit gives, the priests that God ordains through Levi, the tribe, right? He doesn't say, well, you know what, don't give them anything. Hold back, separate, build a fortress, keep yourself holy. Don't be infected by society and culture. He says, no, engage, settle down, live there, make this place your home. Don't be a tourist. Don't be a tourist. And right throughout the ancient scriptures, even if you walk into the New Testament, you'll see this language. These guys are in exile. And of course, if you read the book of James, that practical book, again, of doing, right? Of not just talking about faith, but actually living out faith. Of actually holding a mirror up to your life and saying, what's this all about? What does Christianity look like when it's in practice? That's what James tells us. James starts off chapter 1, verse 1, and the word he uses is exiles. He addresses the church as exiles. And then 1 Peter 1, 1, also Peter writing to the church, talks about suffering. I don't like that stuff much. I'm all for the joy stuff and the feasting. But that's part of the journey. Suffering, right? And pain. He, he, he also addresses the church when he talks about this pain and suffering. He addresses them as exiles. And the actual word means like, this is sort of freaky out, but it actually means resident aliens. How do you like that? So I want you to go into workplace and your schools tomorrow and just go into the canteen or wherever you go, grab yourself whatever you're grabbing, your coffee, whatever, and just say, hey, how you doing? My name's whatever your name is. I'm a resident alien. <laughs> Usually works. You'll get a conversation going if nothing else. Eh? You going to try it? Well, there's a tension in the scripture. So one minute, Jason, the man in the cloth, he's saying, engage, don't hold back, don't resist. And then the next minute, you're telling us that we're resident aliens. So we're not to consume, we're to work, we're to spend, we're to engage, we're to incorporate all of, engage with all the fabric of society. And in God's God, the followers call those who are followers of Christ that we have a different mindset. We have a different mindset. So first one, let me just try and help you out with this. So we have to have a, there's, a, there's another link here. So here's, here's the text, right? First one, in this text, Jeremiah 29, it says this here, that <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar had carried them into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Is that right? Anybody? Want to disagree? What does it say? Nebuchadnezzar carried you into exile from Babylon. You can look it up on your own Bible. And then verse 4 seems to contradict itself. It says here, it says, um, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem. So make your mind up. Oh, the Bible seems to be a bit out of sync, doesn't it? Controversial. Inconsistent, maybe. So what is it? God carried them into exile. Nebuchadnezzar carried them into exile. Which one is it? Let's make up our minds. So that's the key is found. This, this, what happens is here, and I've said it right from the start, the social circumstances brought them into exile. That was Nebuchadnezzar. God's part. We find out in verse 10, 11. Let me read it for you. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place where I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. We're very familiar with that. 
So really what God is saying, in the circumstances of the forces of society have brought us into this place, let me work through it. Let me work in it. Let me use it for my good purpose. And let me, let me cause a place where you go, wherever you go, I go. Let me cause a place where you go to flourish and to prosper and be well. Because I'm your God. And to have a king like Yahweh, to have a God like the God that we serve, he's a God of blessing. He's a God of, of fruitfulness. He's a God of flourishing. He's a God of peace. He's a God of shalom. He's a God of total well-being. So therefore, it makes total sense that where this people go, he goes and he uses his people in every city, every village, and every town. So what does that look like for followers of Jesus Christ of Nazareth in the 21st century? What does that mean to a ragtag bunch of people of us sitting here in an old Wellworth warehouse in black chairs on a Sunday morning thinking, what time's this guy going to finish? What does that mean for us, right? What, what, why, why bring up so this, this ancient text that goes way, way back? What's the purpose? Well, the purpose is always, it tells us, the purpose is to bless the city. And that means the same for us. All over the world, I think, people are populating in the cities. But the unique thing I think about Dungana, and I think Dungana is pretty unique, um, is that it has people from all over Eastern Europe now. There's people from all over the world coming into this place, Dungana to Rome. It's unique, right? You don't, you don't really find it in every other town, city, or village even throughout Ireland. This is a quite unique spot, quite unique place. Everywhere I go, I'm going to tell people I'm from Dungannon. Not that I go a lot of places, but if I'm anywhere at all, people are always um, amazed by the population and the, the mix of population, how God, maybe God, maybe God could be in it. Could it be a coincidence? I don't know. I choose to believe God has maybe brought people to this place. And maybe this place could prosper. I'm just being a little optimistic this morning. Maybe it could flourish because of you, because of King Jesus and his kingdom and his commission to the church. So I came up with this brilliant, this is deep, this brilliant, you could call it scientific, you could call it philosophical, you could call it whatever. This is it. Write it down. You ready? I don't see anybody going for a pen. Keith, he's going for it. Good man, Keith. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Oh, you're just getting the wife their coat. <laughs> you're actually going home. <laughs> but just before you do, listen to this. We need churches where people are. That's it. We need churches where people are. I believe that God moves people in the towns and places. And the job of the church is to engage those people, not to withdraw from those people. Wherever people are migrating to, wherever people are, are, are gathering around, whether that's a village or a city or a town or a street or a community, wherever, if it's a community center, if it's a house and estate, wherever it is, the church needs to engage, needs to go, needs to be among needs to engage the very fabric of society, not to retreat, not withdraw, but to actually engage with it. We need churches where people are. You know, we're, we're planting the church in Macrofeld, and I always get the same old argument from some people say, do you not think Macrofeld have enough churches? I don't know. Do you not think there's enough people 
lying in their beds, not going to church in Mackerfelt, that don't have a church that they engage with. Do you not think that could be the case? Do you think, do you honestly think, like there's a church probably, you know, you go to any village and town and street in, in Northern Ireland, you'll find a church. What do you think would happen? Do you know it was something like, I think, oh, so many, a hundred and, I don't know, but on the day, okay, I'm not giving you the number of years, but a long, long time ago, uh, in Korean, on Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And God started to turn the hearts and minds of people in a town and a community. And it spread like wildfire. And do you know that those people weren't able to fit into what we, what we call church and what we call church as church buildings? Did you know that they weren't able to fit even all the churches that we had? And do you know what would happen if the Spirit of God was to pour Himself out today in Dungannon? We are bit, beat. Bait. Pure bait. Do you think, do you think all the buildings we have and all the, the spaces we have could 160 years I've just been informed? Earpiece. <laughs> do you, do you, that just put me off my train of thought actually. What was I saying? Bait. Do you think, do you honestly think that we could have enough space for for all the people that don't yet know Jesus and are not engaged with church could come and engage. So what I'm saying is that that's just a whole different story, by the way. We need the church to go where the people are. And I'm not talking about building buildings. I'm talking about leaving buildings, by the way. Yeah? You see, for far too long, we have seen the power of the Holy Spirit being separated from broken lives. And God has called the church to be His representation here on earth, to pick up the message and the work of Jesus Christ, the ministry of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, to leave the building and to engage with the fabric of society. Acts 17, 26 to 28, this gives me a bit of a, a, a theological platform, foundation for why I talk about churches need to be where people are and where God moves people into communities and cities. Let me read this for you. From the one man, he made all nations, and they should inhabit the whole earth, okay? So that's just... Mankind being fruitful. And, they, and, our, and he marked out their appointed, appointed times in histories. And it says this, in the boundaries of their lands. God did this. That sort of screws my head up. Let me read it again for you, just in case you didn't pick it up. He said, it says that he marked out their appointed times in history. That's you and I. And it also says this, that, he, that the boundaries are set by him. He marks out the appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this. Why? So that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he's not far from anyone anyway. It's not far from any of us. For in him we live and we move and we have our being. As some of you are poets have said, where's his offspring? Beautiful story that. Actually what Paul's doing, he's walking through the, this place where there is so many idols and, and images to false gods and unknown gods. And then and then Paul, he's a bit of a rascal. He says, uh, do you want me to give you, an, do you know the unknown God? Let me tell you, let me tell you God. It's unknown and he starts to, to preach them in their culture and their language. He learns their language. So all I want to say is, if you live here, do you live here? Yeah. Make it your home. Make it your home. Don't be a tourist. 
Make this your home. Engage with it. You're not a tourist, by the way. It's not your ultimate home, of course. You're a resident alien, as you're going to tell everybody tomorrow morning. So again, you're hearing me saying, make your mind up, Jason. Make it my home. I'm a resident alien. It's not my a resident alien. It's not my ultimate home. Who am I? What am I? What is this about? So let me try and make some sense of this, and then we'll wrap it up. I'll be done in about five minutes. Only winding you up. <laughs> no, I'm nearly there. I'm nearly there. This might help, and it's scriptural too. Have you ever heard of the word called ambassador? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you think about ambassador. It's actually in the ancient scriptures too. You're an ambassador of Christ. And, you know, it sounds very formal, but what does it actually mean? So it actually means, if you think about an ambassador, I got to meet the United States ambassador one time when I was working selling clothing in, in Lisbon Road. And so anyway... Uh, an ambassador, quite interesting. I learned a lot by asking a lot of questions. That poor lady that day thought she was in Castlereagh Holding Center. I think it still existed at the time. But anyway, I asked her a lot of questions. And here's some of the things I discovered about the ambassador of the United States at that time. She lived in country A, but she represented country B. That's what it is. She knew she had a, she, she lives here. and She lived in Belfast. She appreciated the, she appreciated the country the country, the culture. She was about building bridges, so she engaged in the fabric of society. She just didn't detach herself from, from people and places. She was actually about building bridges. She just didn't come in as an American and say, I've got my building. I'm standing here, and they'll ship me peanut butter and jam, and I'll make sandwiches, and I'll make do until we get back. No, no, no. She did a bit more than that. She built bridges. She learned the language. Okay, yes, meant I meant yes, and so on and so on. Bat meant bond. Boom, boom, whoa. <laughs> Let's not record that. <laughs> Live and engage, build, engage, cause things to flourish, but never forgetting that they represent and demonstrate the values of another country. The pennies drop. See, sometimes we get weird about what does it mean, you know, we're, I used to grow up with a culture, you know, we're in the world and we're not off the world, and that just meant you didn't do life with people that didn't know Jesus. It was just so unbiblical and so unscriptural. And then you used to get these people and they would come along, and I've, I've probably done this before, and, and then the, the, they would really try and convince me, and so they would do a thing like, they would do this here. They would say, you stand on a chair there, Jason, and I was a bit naive, I just did what they told me. So you stand on a chair, everybody stand on a chair. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> Were you going to do it? So you'd stand on a chair, and then they would say, That's, you're the Christian, you're on a chair. Totally biblical, isn't it? You read it in the Bible. John chapter 14, verse 7. He stood on a chair. And then they said, and then the non-Christian comes along, the person of the world. And they try to, you put your hand out to them. And it's harder to pull, pull them up, isn't it? It's much easier for them to pull you down. And so, I just wanted to do that. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, they're right, they're right. And then I read that he came down. Jesus came down. Walked among them. Vulnerable. Became unclean because of the ceremonial laws. And we think the unclean part happened when Jesus met the woman who had the, the hemorrhaging. But do you know he broke every unclean law way before then? And he walked among us. Our allegiance, of course, is to Jesus Christ, Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, but we reflect his values and his system, and our allegiance is to King 
and kingdom. Do you get that? And I'm going to take you on a different journey next week. And we're going to talk about politics and the kingdom. Because so many Christians in this nation of ours are holding so much baggage. Their hearts are hard. Their minds are not fruitful. They're not seeing the power and presence of Jesus Christ of Nazareth working through their life and their family and reconciliation because we have a different allegiance. We've divided our heart to become citizens of this country and not citizens of the kingdom. All of us who know Jesus Christ of Nazareth are ambassadors of a king in a different country. And we carry those values. And those values go through every fabric of society. And do you know what those values look like? Let me just tell you, since you asked. In case you don't believe me, Philippians 3.27 said, but our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we are eagerly awaiting the Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you know what he's doing? And I keep saying it every week, probably this last while. It's just been on my mind and on my heart. He's coming into the neighborhood. He's walking into your neighborhood, into your streets. It's always been his plan. It's his ultimate plan. And that's a destination. That's the fulfillment of all things. I've just got over my five minutes. Jesus actually says, you're a mini city. Alan said it this morning. You're a city on a hill. What he says is you're a mini city, you're, you're part, you make things happen, you, you, you live in another culture, in another kingdom, you, you're, you're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, but you're called to bring that culture of the kingdom into the fabric of society so that it permeates everywhere we go, everything we do. We don't stay back, we actually engage and we walk with humility and sacrificial love and justice and peace and reconciliation, bringing the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Somebody please say, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> I am behaving. This is me behaving. You want to see me not behaving? Well, here's what I also learned, and I've learned this probably more recently than, than enough because I've got smart sons and they use smart words and try and confuse me. But Western culture is all about the individual, Right? It's me and it's mine. It's you got to get on. you got to get ahead. So it's in a very individualistic culture. And outside of that culture, the only place that I've really seen Asian culture is India, as close as I can get there. And they have a more of a clan mentality, a family, a us culture. So that we have a me and they have a we. Make sense? Stay on track. So you think about that in any relationship. You think that in any street, in any society, in any corner of your road, if we have that culture, if it's a me and a we, how does it happen? It doesn't happen. It doesn't flourish. It doesn't progress. It actually implodes in itself, and it struggles to flourish. And you think about that in the context of, of one of the most intense relationships, okay? What's the most intense and intimate re- relationship we have? Marriage. Yeah. <laughs> Malcolm is straight off the blacks. Four, four years later, he's like, it's Here. Today, oh, it's the Lord. This is... we, we worked this all out. This is all coming down. Around. You think about that. You know, you think about if, if that happens in a marriage, if it's me first, you know, I'll do this, I do it. So the, one of the things that we say to Michelle, I think, I hope so, and we did a bit of your marriage. How was your marriage counseling preparation? Just fantastic. <laughs> One of the things that we say to, the, to all the couples that, we, that they're about to be married is to say, the one, thing that we, the one piece of advice we say is outdo each other in serving. 
be the first to say, I'll do it. Be the first. Just, just outdo each other. You know, you take the bin out if it's, even if it's not your night. Whatever it is. It's all the sexy stuff, right? Taking the bin out. All that stuff. It's so important that we don't have a me attitude. If you can imagine a marriage where, where sex is just for your fulfillment, where, where you're just wanting your needs met all the time and, and, and all of that. What, what kind of marriage would that be? It'd be an absolute mess, let me tell you. Absolute mess. You don't need to be a prophet or son of a prophet to work that out. So Jesus came saying, you first. Didn't he? The Son of Man came to seek and serve that which is lost. He came and he said, you first. That's why he broke a lot of the rules. It's you first. It's you first. My life poured out for you. I'm emptying myself. Philippians says that he, he steps out of he who was in the beginning was God. Knew all things, created all things. He steps out of that relationship with God the Father. Not relationship, he steps out of that, in that circumference, in that sphere, in that space, in that environment with God. He comes to this dark earth. He leans in and he says all the time, you first. You first. He denies himself. Even picking up a cross. The most brutal death machine. And he pours out his life. So what? We okay? Pine shop will be busy this week. When we get the battery oil, they not know what hit them. There is other shops available for batteries too, just in case you're wondering. How the church should live in culture, its kingdom is one of self-denial. That's the values of the culture. That's the values. You're a representative. You're an ambassador of, a, of another kingdom. And this, and this is the culture that you live in. This is the values that you bring. Your self-denial, self-sacrifice, and justice. Those three things. Love and justice. You see, you need love and you do need justice. If you go to, and those things always equal self-sacrifice. I don't know about you. If you've ever gone after justice, you've got to go you first. Don't you? And that means sacrifice for you. At least it does in anything that I'm at all engaged with. I never feel, when we talk about justice, it sounds cool, sounds really, really clever, sounds really, really brilliant, but it's hard because it always involves self-sacrifice. You first. You first. And, and sorry to get on the political path this morning. This country has a way to go with justice because it's going to be very, very uncomfortable to say you first, which is the mindset of Christ and the mindset of the kingdom. I'll leave it there. Sometimes it's incredibly hard to live in this tension when you're making it your home and you're a citizen of the kingdom. But it actually can be worked out. So, so for so long, the church of Jesus Christ had this sort of picture, give the world this picture. It says, you know, I'm going to live here, but just hold my nose. I'll live in society. I'll go to work with you. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm Christian, but... I'll hold my nose. Just till we get out of here. And then some of us 
haven't held their nose, but we've just jumped in. We said we're Christian, but the values of the citizenship of the kingdom of justice and righteousness and peace and power and presence and all that thing and belonging, we've let that go. We've allowed it to be taken out of us like a syringe, extracting the values, what it means to be a citizen Jesus and his kingdom. The key, the most remarkable key, and I am Landon. Verse 7 says, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you, the exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Seek the peace. We know what that means. It means the shalom. It means the full, the thriving and the flourishing. It means that we want the social, the economic, the political, the every fabric of our society to actually be okay. And not just to be okay, but to, to do well. And you might be thinking, well, that, that makes sense. You know, if it prospers, we prosper. You might be thinking, well, Jason, that's just, pragma- that's just pragmatic. That's just reasonable. That's just, that's just rational. You know, we... we you may be thinking, well, Christians, we just don't make waves. You know, we're not, just don't upset the apple, car, apple cart. This is a bit of tit for tat, isn't it? This is a bit of, if I pray for a bit of prosperity, I get a bit of prosperity, and then we're all good, right? But no, actually, the key here is to pray. Pray. Pray for who? This is the letter. Go back to the letter. Pray for Babylon, those who brought you into exile, those who took you out, those who brought you into slavery, those who, who you had no choice about going, but they took you. And this is what Father God said, pray for those, because you can't pray for anybody without loving anybody. And that's what it means to have the heart to seek the prosperity of Dungannon, Tyrone, Eden Dork, wherever you live, White City, wherever you live, the bush, beautiful people in the bush, wherever they are, you seek the prosperity of them. How do you do it? It's not just tit for tat. It's not just, oh, if they do well, I'll do well. No, it's actually praying. It's actually sacrificially loving and seeking the justice and the peace for those people. And then that takes us on a whole different area. I think this is the nearest the Old Testament gets to praying for those who despitefully use you. Love your enemies and pray for those who spitefully use you. It's not surviving the culture, people. The Finyard Church, Dungannon, is not called here to survive culture. No churches. No churches. You know, one of the things that really, really used to tilt my head, there was a lovely godly man that I worked with in Austin, the Diamond. It's not there anymore. And you know what he did every dinner time? Instead of eating with the people in the canteen, he had to go and eat somewhere else. And I asked the people, because I hadn't a clue, I said, why does he go home and eat somewhere else? And he says, because he's Christian. And I thought, dear Lord, dear Lord, you're not called to survive the culture or to struggle alone, but you're to be the redeeming presence in the town, in your community. Not just some of us, but all of us who are called Christian, all of us, not just some of us, to pour ourselves out and to seek the flourishing of the town. That's the call of the church of Jesus Christ here on the earth. Isn't it? Sacrifice. Love. Justice. Sacrifice. Love. Justice. Jesus left heaven. He moved into the neighborhood. Was persecuted because he reflected another kingdom. Didn't let the values go. Yet he was fully engaged. Would you stand with me?